Hi, everyone, and welcome to our Talent Talks podcast. This is season two, episode five, where we will be talking about educating and learning about Native American culture in celebration of November as Native American Heritage Month. Tonight with us, we have Dr. Michelle Weber and Professor John Torres. Professor Torres, thank you so much for joining us. Would you uh, care to introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about uh, what you do. Uh, sure. Uh... Um, uh, I'm Navajo from Four Corners, so I'll quickly introduce myself. Sorry, that was long. It's just the way we introduce ourselves with all of our clans. Uh, but yeah, my name is John Torres. I'm Navajo. I'm from Four Corners. Uh, I'm a professor of anthropology and archaeology here at Mount San Jacinto College. Okay, That's fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Four Corners, is that New Mexico, Colorado, Arizona? One left. Uh, Utah. Uh, <laughs> Utah, okay. Utah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado. Oh, fantastic. I grew up in Albuquerque. So. Oh, all right. I know, I know New yeah, Mexico. I grew up in Farmington. So and, I probably know yeah, Farmington. I do. I know Farmington. Fantastic. Yeah, um, Actually, technically, I grew up from in Nyeezy, but nobody knows where that is. So. No. Although you might. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> no. Well, and I, I grew up in Southern California, so I'm over here like I have no clue. <laughs> but that's okay. We're here to learn. Um, so first question for you um, is, um, why is it important to represent diverse and contemporary Native American voices, experiences, and perspectives? Uh, well, I think the big part of it is that um, there's just this idea uh, that Native people are sort of a monolith. I mean, we're always portrayed as the Plains Indian stereotype with the war bonnet and the buckskins and the beaded moccasins. Um, and the result, you know, the reality is that, yeah, the Plains people have their own thing, but Northern Plains is still different from Southern Plains, which is different from Middle Plains. Um, yet we're all kind of thought of as that way. Um, but, you know, even within where our colleges, there's four tribes just within around San Jacinto. Um, Navajo Nation, we're the biggest. We have 17 million acres and 350,000 of us, um, which is why Navajos are everywhere. Uh, but I am as different um, as the Apaches are different as the Utes and the Comanches, and that you can go on 500 or so nations. And we're all different, different languages, different cultures, different customs. Uh, yeah, we're related for sure. I mean, Navajo and Apache are related to each other. Um, Comanches and Utes are related to each other. The Cahuilla and Luiseno are related to each other. Um, but um, yeah, we're just very different, uh, and uh, we don't all run around with war bonnets, and 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 that's and that's okay. You know, that's the planes do their thing, and we do our own. So it's important to realize that we're you know we're okay with that stereotype if that's what you want to use the planes people. Uh, but the reality is that we're you know, ask. We'll definitely tell you how different we are. All right. Yeah. It's just it's important not to just rely on stereotypes. I think. It's, you know, part of why we're talking about this is, you know, to improve people's knowledge and, you know, differentiate between the different nations because you all have a beautiful and rich heritage um, that should be celebrated. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> um, in your words, uh, what is unique about Native American culture? Uh, well, I guess, I mean, it's, again, there's 500 nations, there's 500 different viewpoints, but sort of one sort of uh, uh, pan 
cosmology that seems to permeate with all the people of the entire Western hemisphere, North and South America, uh, is this idea uh, of, uh, of a balance between what human beings can do and what nature can provide. Um, and that there was this idea that you can never exceed that caring capacity. You know, there were 150, 120 million people living in the hemisphere before uh, European contact. Uh, and they managed everything from giant game preserves like the plains to agricultural fields like the Southwest and the woodlands and the uh, giant city states like in Mesoamerica. Uh, but there was always this idea that, you know, the earth, the mother's only gonna provide so much and you can't get too big uh, or in order to do that. There was this more of an idea that, you know, even uh, laborers, even the sort of the lower levels of within societies still need to have a roof and food over their head and um, that there was this larger sense of community, um, which is, you know, what the Spanish were able to take advantage of when they arrived. You know, it's like, well, look at all the food they have. It's like, well, yeah, because they're making sure everybody eats. You look at all the textiles they have. Well, yeah, it's because we're making sure everyone has enough clothing and bedding and whatever else. Um, and that seems to be, you know, whether you are, you know, still, you know, foraging people or, you know, agricultural people or whatever, that, that permeates throughout society that you still had to live in balance with everything or things would get out of balance and then that would not be good. So if any of the few pan-native things, that, that sort of idea was built in, whether you were hunting bison or you were growing corn, um, there was still, yeah, okay, there's this many of us, this is how much we need to grow, um, and we don't want to disturb more land than we need to. So when we need more land, we'll disturb it until then we just grow what we need. I feel like we could yeah, learn, that... learn something from, from that. <laughs> oh, so much. I mean, I think, you know, our, culture in the United States so much ends up revolving around abundance, you know, like it, everyone just wants more, more, more all the time. And, you know, we're seeing the, the impact that that's having on, on our country, on society, the world. I mean, they just had the climate summit trying to figure out, right. you know, how to bring things back into balance um, so that we don't run out of those valuable resources yeah within the world of archaeology there's sort of these there's some specialties like marine archaeologists who go find sites under the water um i still keep pushing for it. we need a new one called climate change archaeology because as the mm -hmm. glaciers recede we're finding all these cities and people and mummies and stuff that are just eroding out of the giant ice sheets that we didn't even know were there wow um, i didn't even think yeah, of that <laughs> I, yeah that i was gonna say that just blew my mind I'd... Yeah, there's all these mummies in Peru that are coming out of glaciers. There's mammoths coming out of Russia and Canada, and uh, yeah, it's 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 crazy. It's it's affected the world that you now that is different. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's so wild to think about, like, because you know we we think of like the North Pole, the North Pole area as this, you know, basically this cold wasteland that's uninhabitable. So then, like, finding signs of of past communities there, that's that's really cool. And much older than anyone thought either. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, everyone thought it was like, well, 12,000 years, that's max. Now it's probably closer to 30. I think really? People, oh, yeah. wow. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, in fact, it was a site just south of Albuquerque that was published. They found it three years ago, but they published just a few months ago where they got those footprints at White Sands. I and those saw are 23,000 years old. Yeah. That is incredible. White Sands yeah. is a pretty cool place. <laughs> I'll have to add it to my uh, add it to my list should. of places to go. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Professor Torres, what is unique then about um, your tribe about the Navajo? Um, 
Well, we're kind of known for our silversmithing, you know, any sort of the classic Southwestern look is silver silversmithing. Um, we learned silversmithing from the Mexican occupation, but the jewelry styles haven't changed. We, they were just stamped on leather with turquoise instead of now that we use silver. Uh, and of course, sheep, which we also borrowed from the, the Spanish, uh, from which we make most of our textiles from. Uh, but uh, yeah, so those are kind of signature things for Navajo people, mutton sandwich sitting on a rug. Uh, watching the beautiful mesas go by. <laughs> yeah, there's not much better than a New Mexico sunset, that's for sure. <laughs> you don't miss the ocean? I didn't grow up anywhere near an ocean. <laughs> Actually, I take not it back. Sure. I was born in here. I was born in Southern California. But then, yeah, even when as a kid, I didn't go to the beach, even when I did live here. Uh, but then, yeah, it's uh, where I went. There's no when you the people say they're going to the beach it was actually just a place where the water slows down on the rio grande in south albuquerque uh, people oh, say wow. it's the beach and, and, and there is kind of a beach there but it's the river yeah. that's cool though I, I just love sunsets in general so it's something about them it's just natural beauty you know yeah, Navajo Nation, I mean, people think of it as all the, the mesa tops and all those, you know, giant features and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. But most of the nation's actually in a nice forested area. We're high altitude for most of the nation. There's a desert mm -hmm. on one side, but we have lots of lots of forested areas, too. That That's where our, our most of our homeland is now. Right. Very cool. Um, let's see. Um, what have you noticed that Native American culture has influenced uh, in other cultures? I think the biggest influence is food. We have the oldest domesticated plants in the world and four fifths of all the plants that are still in domestication were created here, you know, like corns and beans and squash and potatoes and peanuts. And, you know, you can go on around cashews, Brazil nuts, uh, you know, everything but rice and millet is pretty much domesticated here. Rice, millet and wheat, they were domesticated in the Middle East and China, but um, all, most of everything that's grown, I mean, of that one fifth that's left, that's wheat and, and barley and millet, uh, but most everything is, even food that you think of as, you know, traditional African food like manioc. Well, no, that's actually an Andean crop that was brought over by the Portuguese to Africa that became a staple crop for them. Huh. You know, potatoes in Ireland, no, that came from Peru that was brought over by the Spanish and because that part was a Spanish colony at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I think food is probably the biggest thing. You can't you can't eat anything that doesn't have something that was domesticated here because corn isn't pretty much everything we eat. So it really is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, I think there's a documentary. I want to say it's called King Corn. That um, talks about like how it's in almost anything you can think of. I mean, it's in batteries and like <laughs> tires and stuff. Like it's it's crazy. Cool that we figured out so many ways to use it, but yeah, wild. Um, so talking about culture uh, is what are some of the uh, values that are associated with Native American culture in general and with the Navajo Nation specifically? Uh, well, I think I kind of touched on it in yeah. sort of this idea of, of community mm -hmm. is really important mm -hmm. um, or, you know, I consider myself, oh, something, somebody barked, got my dog excited. <laughs> uh, but um, uh, yeah, I often say I'm, I'm Navajo before I say I'm American, you know, because it's still, that's kind of the, the, the nation I come from. Right. And even within the nation, there are 120 states, sort of states within the nation. Uh, so I'm from the community of Naizi, which is in the, the state of the Western Agency, which is part of the Navajo Nation. 
um, which is part of New Mexico. Uh, that part of it is. Um, so, and that sense of, sense of community is important. You know, I introduced myself by my clans, my mother's clans, my father's clans, my paternal and fraternal grandparents' clans. Um, and you can always guarantee, um, no matter where you are on the nation, if you get a flat tire, if you're you know, just hungry, you need water, some clan member is going to be around there and they're your family, even though you're not really biologically related to any cape, but cosmologically you're connected and that clan means they'll come out and change your tire or you'll you know, bring you some water or, or whatever it is. That sort of sense of community is still very, very strong. Uh, and I think that's true for a lot of native communities. I mean, otherwise we wouldn't have survived all this time. Uh, we were able to stick together and work together and keep traditions and languages alive as best we could. Um, I mean, I feel really fortunate that there were so many native speakers of the Navajo language that I learned, I know Navajo language. Whereas, you know, there's just a handful of Kuya native speakers or Luisiano native speakers. People are learning it for sure. And it's a sort of a nice rebirth. Um, and, um, but it's, you know, I feel lucky in that, in that sense. Uh, but yeah, I would say sort of community, you know, just being together and making sure we all stick together and, and, and help each other as best we can, I mean. That's really beautiful. Have you noticed a, a difference in the newest generation of Native Americans as opposed to uh, your generation or you mentioned your parents uh, just in how they practice or how they feel? I think feel? what I'm seeing with, you know, sort of the 20-somethings, the, the, the students right now, uh, is that there really is kind of a, a sort of re-indigenation, I don't know what word to use there, uh, that's happening and connecting people from North and, and, and South America, where people are connecting to their, you know, their Mexican nationals, but they're more connecting to their indigenous roots of Mexico. That yes, they're El Salvadoran nationals, but they're connecting to the Salvadoran indigenous relatives. Uh, and before, I mean, you know, when I was younger, it's like, oh, well, there's no indigenous people outside of North America. I was like, well, of course there are. Um, we just, they have their own countries, so it's a little different. Um, but I'm seeing a lot of younger people taking ownership of that. It's like, oh, I'm from El Salvador, but I am of this tribe. Or, you know, I, I'm, I'm Mexican, but I'm actually Chichimec from this part of Mexico. Or I'm, uh, you know, my family still speaks Nahuatl or whatever it is. Uh, and I'm seeing a lot more of, of sort of reconnecting natives. And I think that's really important. Um, and I, and uh, so, yeah, I think it's sort of, uh, I, I think it's, I see it as a good thing. So that's that's a big shift. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, reconnecting to your heritage and to your roots and the traditions and everything that goes with that. I, it's I feel like it's necessary um, and definitely something to be celebrated. Um, speaking of um, traditions, do you have any in particular that you practice or that you make an effort to maintain? Um. Well, there's, yeah, there's several ceremony I always participate in. There's uh, one that uh, sort of is a healing ceremony that we do uh, to kind of add protection and healing sort of spiritual aspects of oneself that I go home for as often as I can, mostly because of what I do as an archaeologist. I handle lots of stuff that I probably shouldn't be handling and normally wouldn't be handled had not, you know, an Amazon building went up here and found this stuff. Um, so it's called the blessing way ceremony. And I go back as often as I can to get that done just for me. Um, but otherwise, you know, we just had our new year's traditional Navajo new year's, which was a couple of weeks ago uh, as the winter months start. And that's when we have our, our new year's festivities. Um, 
I guess that's probably the biggest ones that I do other than, you know, when I go home and there's something's happening, a wedding or, you know, write a passage ceremony and things like that. Um, a friend of mine, you know, their, their son's going off to, they join the Marines. We need to have a ceremony for them to go away and, and those kinds of things. But there's, you know, there's some big ceremonies we do in the spring, but most of them are actually for us, it's during the winter months. It's when everyone's inside. It's when you tell the traditional stories. It's when you talk about, you know, you know, teach people how to weave or how to do whatever traditional skills uh, there are. Uh, and it, it varies from place to place, but that's something that I really enjoy the winter months. That's when I get to do my own bead work. And that's when I get to do artsy things, um, uh, making pasole and, you know, fry bread and which aren't really traditional, but they're what well, pasole is, but, uh, but yeah, just kind of, you know, eating too much what you do during the winter. <laughs> okay, no, yeah, I'm, got hung it. I'm hungry for we'll... pasole now. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll have turkey pasole next week. All right. <laughs> I'm going to go off script a little bit. And since you're from New Mexico, um, our Secretary of Interior is also from New Mexico. What do you think the significance of having a cabinet member of Indigenous origins is to... Uh, it's it's insanely important. I mean, um, I know I've known Deb a long time. I actually worked on several of her campaigns when I was in New Mexico. She ran for the state senate and the House of Representatives. So you know, we helped. I campaigned for her a bunch, and I really think she's she's an amazing person. Um, and um, so, but even even just at the fact that uh, Laguna Pueblo woman could be at the cabinet level uh, is enormous for Indian country, um, just because we've not been sat at the table ever. Uh, and then we have someone who's more traditional than a lot of people probably even were comfortable with, um, but that's okay, um, that's that's fine. Uh, but yeah, just, just for morale in Indian country was just enormous. I mean, you know, there's, you know, people who might not like this or might not like that about her, but no one's gonna say, it's like, she shouldn't be there. She, she deserves to be there and I'm very happy that she is. Fantastic, I think it's great too. <laughs> yeah, representation is, so so important you know getting those voices heard um let's see what was oh okay um what is something that you feel is uh often misunderstood about native americans or native american culture well i think part of it is that there's kind of this romanticized you know, noble, savage envision of us, you know, they're all sitting in our little hogans hammering away as little silversmiths or something. <laughs> um, but no, we're, we, we drive cars, we, you know, we have hydraulic presses instead of hammers now. And, you know, if you're a jeweler, um, but so I think the biggest is that, you know, that we're stuck in the 1700s or something. It's like, no, mm. there's doctors and lawyers and, you know, craftspeople and house builders. And, you know, uh, yeah, there's some traditional weavers and traditional silversmith. Uh, absolutely. But, um, we're kind of native, native people are everywhere and you might not, you know, it's like, oh, well, in Southern California, you know, it's like, oh, well, you must be a, you know, a, you're a Hispanic or you're Mexican. Nope, I'm from Spoba or I'm from Morongo or I'm from, you know, mm -hmm. Torres Martinez or whatever. Uh, so the idea that native people are extinct or gone uh, or still live in the past. Uh, yeah, it's no, we're alive and well, and we're all around you and you might not even realize it. Uh, <laughs> Hiding in plain sight, right? Hiding in plain sight. <laughs> um, you mentioned all the different professions. Um, you said yourself are you are a tribal archaeologist. Could you uh, tell us a little bit about what that means? Um, well, it started for me because uh, where I grew up was just north of a place called Chaco Canyon, which is this giant archaeological ancestral pueblo complex. 
that was built 2000 years ago and most of it's still standing. Um, but that was kind of my backyard when I was a kid. I played there and, you know, hide, you know, hide and seek on all these forts, you know, ancient forts that we played in. Um, and then uh, when I, before I was even in high school, I was, you know, 12, 13 years old. Um, I ended up, my, my grandparents wouldn't let me sit around doing nothing all summer. You got to go work, you got to do something. So I, I worked for the tribe Civilian Conservation Corps. We basically got a bunch of Navajo boys and put them to work is basically what they did. Um, and so we worked for the tribe doing whatever the tribe needed. It was like, you know, cleaning, you know, trash cans in the parks. And I ended up on a road crew um, that had, was going right through Chaco. So there were archeologists on the road crew. So I was like, okay, well, you know, this is cool. Well, who built it? Well, why is it here? You know, you know, how come I don't know anything about this? And, um, and they're like, well, whether well, the Anasazi people and they vanished, they disappeared. And I'm like, mm, no, I think it looks just like Taos Pueblo today. I think it looks like Sandia Pueblo today. It's like, isn't there a connection between those two people? Well, of course there are. Uh, but what I was hearing was that, no, these people went extinct or they disappeared and those are different people. Uh, and I realized, well, what's missing from this is an indigenous lens. We need, you know, we need to hear the oral tradition stories combined with the archaeology. Uh, and I thought, well, that that's a niche that's not being covered, and that's something I want to do. Um, so when I do archaeology, yeah, I do the physical part, but I do a lot of interviews. I talk to a lot of living people mm -hmm. to talk about, you know, interpretation. Well, why why is this village empty? Well, what, you know, it's like, oh, well, because this and this happened. And sometimes it's cosmological, sometimes it's, you know, other kinds of things, but there's always a little kernel of something in there. Uh, and I kind of uh, enjoy wearing, you know, sort of a, a scientific hat, but also an indigenous hat to kind of um, make sure that a more, to me, a more complete story uh, is being told. Uh, so that, that's sort of how I ended up doing what I do. And I get, you know, I get criticism from, you know, some folks that, well, that's not scientific. I'm like, well, archaeology is just making up a story anyway you know we just look at the data without a time machine we're never going to really know we just have some data that shows yeah this is probably what happened this is when it happened um and it's like well you know this is their story of what how it happened and what happened and the truth is somewhere probably in between and that and that's okay right well and i mean i think yeah it sounds like you, you know you kind of mix the the science of archaeology with um history and that that practice of history more often than not is talking to people that were there and you know that becomes like a you know a first-hand account of events like because exactly without a time machine <laughs> like how yeah. else are we gonna I mean, know same with history i mean i think i was talking about this in my class the other day it was like you know prove to me abraham lincoln gave the gettysburg address like well how do you prove it well you can't prove it you could pull up this document you can pull up this document and, and yeah you could say you know likelihood this happened because all this all these newspapers said it happened but I can't prove it happened. We just have to gather our historic documents to show that it probably happened. Uh, but when it comes to something 3000 years ago, you definitely can't prove it. You can just show the data tells this story. Um, if you, some other person looks at it through a different lens, maybe it's a slightly different story, but it's definitely not aliens. I can, I can draw the line. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I would like to um, actually backtrack a little bit. Um, when you were introducing yourself, you um, acknowledged all of the um, different positions in the tribe and things. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about um, your position in the tribe and the importance of that. Um, well, we're, it's, we're a, a matrilineal matriarchal society. So all my clans are my mother's clans. 
so I introduced myself. This is me. This is where I'm from. These are my mother's clans. And my mother's clans come from a very particular part of the nation. So if I'm introducing myself, somebody immediately knows, well, they know my name and they know where my, my family comes from. They come from my mother's clan, which is a place that is actually underneath a lake now. Um, where, where our tribe comes from is underneath Navajo Lake. So we moved south to get out of the being you know, submerged. Um, and then I talk about my father's side. It's like, also, my father's clans come from these areas. Um, and then, uh, but his clans are his mother's clans, right? So it's still, we're connecting the mothers together. And then my, you know, father's father, my mother's father's clan and my father's father's clan, which are much more distantly related. So all my male relatives on my dad's side, they don't, they're not really relatives in a lot of ways because they're his mom's clan. He belongs to his sister's family, not necessarily my family because my family's all about mom and grandma and great grandma, et cetera. Um, so, uh, so when you introduce yourself, you tell anyone who understands um, where I'm from physically, where my family comes from, the importance of those clans and how they are in the tribe. You know, are my am I from a family of healers? Am I family of farmers? Am I family of whatever uh, traditional singers and medicine people that once existed? Um, and then also a little bit about where my father comes from and where his maternal clans come from and because again his mom's more important than his uncles or whatever um, so that's sort of what everybody does it's just kind of like lays out everybody instead of having to say you know everything you know oh i'm from here and this is where i'm from because you know I, I don't live there anymore but if i introduce mm. myself to someone else i go oh you're from naisi you know or some maybe herfano or one of those little communities there um just by knowing where my clans are from uh, because you know that's where most of them are still Okay. And then it tells everybody about me. It's like, okay, well, you're from this family of healers and you do this and you do that. And I'm like, yeah, I used to do all that. <laughs> That's still, really I neat. I could still butcher a sheep if I have to. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> right. Yeah. If, ever, if I ever uh, have a need, I'm going to call. <laughs> um, okay. So let's see. Um, moving uh, forward again a little bit here. Um, We've heard the term uh, tribal sovereignty, and I was wondering if you could um, give a bit of a definition for us and explain the importance. Uh, well, people mention tribal sovereignty, they're generally referring to um, what we call the federally recognized tribes. There's, you know, the government, the federal government recognizes about 500 nations or something um, as separate nations. That's why I'm, I'm from the Navajo Nation, because we are treated as a separate government, which is why we have treaties. You know, we have treaties with Canada and, and Peru and whatever else. Well, you also have treaties with tribal nations because we are sovereign. Other than printing our own money, we still have our own economy, our own roads, our own everything, our own schools, our own hospitals, whatever kind of level of autonomy the tribe might want, um, which is why some tribes have gaming, because, you know, that's something they've chosen mm -hmm. to do. Um, so tribal sovereignty really is the ability to uh, acknowledge that you are own sovereign government and you need to be treated from a government to government relationship when it comes to anything with the feds or the state or the counties. And there's also state and county recognized tribes that have a little bit of that, but they don't have any land base or anything else. So it's a little more complicated for them. So in general, you're referring to mostly the federally recognized tribes uh, and their relationship with other governments, you know, whether it be like a county or city or the feds. Uh, and we, we can, you know, we can technically do just about anything we want on our although it's technically leased land it's still considered our land and we can do uh, mm -hmm. what we wish and, and and you know 
and that's that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. uh, Hopi is no, another a kind of complicated case because their nation is actually inside the Navajo Nation, um, so they actually have their own kind of complex sovereignty uh, because they put the Hopis have always been there, and then when they gave us our reservation, instead of giving us more on the eastern side, they gave us more on the western side, which is actually their uh, territory and their homeland, um, and uh, Albuquerque took the other side. So, um, uh, so we don't we're not into our half our nation. Is, is still where we were always, and the other half is now where the mostly Pueblo people were. Um, mm -hmm. So they put a circle around the Hopi reservation uh, inside the Navajo nation. Uh, and there's actually one tiny little Navajo chapter inside the Hopi nation on top of that. Because, <laughs> you know, they had to make it more complicated. Yeah, right? and they all have different time zones, which is even more complicated. Oh my God. Oh, yeah. because so even though we're, because the Navajo Arizona, nation changes the time or... with New Mexico, uh, the Hopis change their time with Arizona, which means they don't change their time at all. Right. Uh, and that little tiny little spot changes with New Mexico. So whenever you have a meeting, you have to say, "Is are we meeting on Tuba City time? Are we meeting on Navajo Nation time? Is it Hopi time? Is it Genito time? Uh, and so inevitably, nice. someone's always early and someone's always late. It just happens. <laughs> yeah, well, I can't. I imagine that has to be unnecessarily like confusing. Yeah, because it's a. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> I mean, I, I personally feel like we should get just get rid of daylight savings altogether, but you know, there's a whole other, whole <laughs> other conversation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Um, so uh, we've talked a lot about Native American culture. Um, and I think some of the more uh, well-known or commonly heard about are um, different uh, dances or like forms of artwork. Um, are there any in particular that you feel like uh, should be more widely discussed or celebrated? Uh, I guess just that, you know, uh, all the artwork across all of Native America is different based on where they are. So we have, you know, we do a lot of stonework because that's kind of where we are, a lot of lapidary work and make stone jewelry and um, people in the Northwest Coast carve these absolutely gorgeous uh, redwood, um, bowls and canoes and boxes and things like that. And that aesthetic I love. Mm -hmm. um, the you know, folks in the Northeast do a lot of amazing baskets and what they call um, sort of applique beadwork, mm -hmm. um, hump beadwork. It's like, it's a really thick kind of beadwork they do up there. Northern Plains has their beautiful beadwork and quill work. Um, so I think there's something to be some art form that should be celebrated in, in all those areas really. I and mean, of course I didn't touch South America, but there's all kinds of great pottery traditions down there, of mm -hmm. course. Um, but yeah, and just, you know, if someone is interested in collecting artwork, you know, it's not all about beadwork. There's some great potters out there and wood carvers mm -hmm. and uh, things like that. Baskets for sure. The California baskets are still some of my favorites. They're just the mm -hmm. most absolutely beautiful baskets here. I mean, I love Navajo baskets too, but, uh, um, you know, Pomo basket, just, there's nothing like it. <laughs> They're really nice. All right. Um, I'm trying to think if. Did you have any other uh, questions, Dr. Weber? No, I'm just so thankful that you were able to join us, Professor Torres, um, so that we could record and just learn more about you and, and celebrate uh, the history of Native Americans um, and oh, Navajo yeah. culture. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be here. And, you know, um, yeah, I'll take the days off next week, but we're not real big Thanksgiving celebrators. Uh, a lot of native homes that's kind of a more of a morning 
ceremony, but yeah, we'll still have mm. pozole because I'll because turkeys are cheap right now. Yeah, so. <laughs> I would, yeah. I was sure. going to ask you about that. It's not a it's not a very festive holiday, I would say. No, no, not usually. Um, I mean, you know, we certainly do our share of eating, but that's kind of the that's <laughs> the end of it. And I'll probably catch a football game or two, but. Cool. Yeah, who, who? What team is it that always plays on Thanksgiving? The Cowboys. The Cowboys. It used to be the Cowboys and the, the Washington. Now the Washington team. The Washington oh, right, team. right. Yeah, they're still figuring that one out, aren't they? Do you think that they will come around with some of those names? I, mean, I, uh, I think they kind of gave up. I think he was so mad that he had so much pressure to change the name. I mean, uh, and Native America has been trying to get him to change the name forever because it's such a horrible term. Uh -huh. I mean, I don't know if you know, but the, the term comes from the bounties people would get when they would turn in a piece of red skin, right. little, yeah. an ear, a nose, a scalp, whatever, to prove that you killed a native person and that you get your 200 bucks. Um, so, yeah, we've not been happy with that term for a long time. And he was so... You know, he basically said, you know, hell will freeze over before he changed the, changed the name. So much pressure when Nike and started, all the sponsors started pulling out, he had no choice. Um, so as a result, I think he's just, you know, pouting. I'm not going to give it a name now. You're just going to be stuck with that. <laughs> like, yeah, okay, like fine. Like a, I don't there's, care. There's no name. It's just, yeah. the, it's just the Washington team. Yeah, it's a, uh, so kindergartner having a tantrum. Yeah. yeah. I noticed so that. That's fine. That... As long as its name's changed, I don't care what you change it to. <laughs> Or just call it the Washington. That's fine I, too. I really would like for them to get rid of that those chants though that they have it. Like oh, they, I couldn't watch the the darn um, World Series because of those the, the the tomahawk chopping kind of no, pseudo kidding. native singing that they do. It drives me yeah. crazy. It drives me crazy too. Ugh, yeah, but, I can't uh, even imagine how hurtful that must be. I know that yeah, the Indians are going to uh, the Guardians. I think they're calling them. Right. Which is fine. Yeah, we got rid of the logo a couple years back, but they finally changed the name too, which is good. Yeah, and I think a few more need to, to fall in line personally. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, one that I've heard people kind of go back and forth on is um, Kansas City being the Chiefs. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I'm not. I'm not sure what the majority. Feel yeah, that's, that's, that's not as bad as some of the others, but they still have that mm -hmm. top, top thing going on. So. Yeah, they right. do the same as the Braves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, someday, someday people. Baby will... steps. Hey, we, we got the big one. We got Washington. Yeah. So I'm, I'm happy with that. So. so that's good. Just start there and then the rest will follow. <laughs> yeah. Dominoes, right? <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much okay. for joining us, Professor Torres. Um, I certainly learned a lot. Um, and I'm just grateful for your time and uh, yeah. This is good, thank you. All right, and that has been another episode of Talent Talks. Join us again, uh, let's see, two weeks? In two weeks, yeah. Yeah, in two weeks on the 2nd of December for our mental health episode. Thank you. Have a great night, everybody. Bye.